If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you uh, to turn to John chapter 1. We're going to look at the very first uh, five verses of John chapter 1. Uh, and I, I'm just amazed that, you know, as I was, uh, I, I've been planning on sharing this message for some time. I've been sitting on the sidelines, went on vacation, and Pastor Stephen Mayanja last week, weren't you blessed by Pastor Stephen Mayanja and everything that he came and imparted to us as an apostle who has planted over 350 churches in nine different nations. And uh, we're, we're just so amazed at the life that God is releasing we're amazed at the life that is in this team. Uh, we're so uh, just honored. Can I just say it once again? Impact Volumes team, wherever you are, you're sitting over here and you're over there and you're over here. We love you guys. We love the life of God that's in you and we see the hand of God that's on your life. And if you're ever looking for a home in Florida, this would be a good one. Okay. Um. We love it. We love, we love what God is doing in young people. And, uh, you know, I, I heard a great story about uh, a, a young girl. Uh, her, her mom was hosting all of this family in for Thanksgiving. And uh, she, uh, you know, as everything was prepared and all these family members had come in. And, uh, and she asked her daughter, she says, honey, why don't you say, uh, why don't you, why don't you say grace over the food uh, for Thanksgiving, and she says, uh, "Mom, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say." She goes, "Oh no, yeah, sure you do. You just, just pray the way you've heard me pray." She goes, "Okay, okay. Lord, why did I invite all these people to my house? <laughs> Young people are amazing. They do exactly what you tell them to do." But you know what? There's life. There's life in this kingdom. There is life in living for God. And that's what I really what I want to share with you today. And I, I believe that there are people here today that met, you've heard about Christ. You've actually, you've actually ex, uh, you know, maybe you've been in church for a long time. But you're, you're like a lot of people. You've actually hit a wall. Maybe you've, you've, you've actually uh, suffered some setback, and you're not seeing the kind of transformation. You're not seeing the kind of breakthrough that you want to see. And really today, this message is about Jesus. This message is about Jesus. Because if you ever really want to be changed, it all comes through Jesus. And I want to share this message called Light and Life, the Keys to Transformation. We're going to read probably five very familiar uh, passages to you along with uh, verse 12. And we're going to see what the Lord uh, would speak to each one of us. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then I want you to look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. 
to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit right now and that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what you are saying to us. God, uh, anything uh, that I have in mind to say that you don't want said, Lord, I lay it down. And I ask now, Lord, for you to be the loudest voice in this place. Speak to us. We're listening in Jesus' name. Amen. These, these passages are, 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 are some of the, the greatest passages that give us explanation about who Jesus is. Jesus, in these passages, has actually given the title of the Word, that he is the Word of God, that he is the full expression of God wrapped in flesh. And um, there, there are, are many theological ideas that are wrapped up in these verses. It says, he was in the beginning with God. This uh, Theologians call this the absolute beginning. It's not talking about the beginning of creation. It's talking about endless eternity backwards. That forever he has always been with God the Father. That he doesn't have a beginning and neither does he have an end. That is why Jesus shows up in the book of Revelation, shows up to his friend John, and his face is shining like the sun in the middle of the day, and he makes this statement, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was, that's this verse, verse 2, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. There are all kinds of uh, insights that you can get about Jesus. You find out that he was creator. You find out that he was the hands of the Father in fashioning the earth. But then you come to verse 4. And I have a little bit of personal history with verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. A few years ago, I was uh, leading a discipleship course for young people, and we decided that we were going to, to actually forge a discipleship course that would be more uh, along the line of a, a, a collegiate-level course, that they would grow in doctrine and theology and practice, and we were traveling, and we were ministering, and we are doing all of this kind of stuff. It was called The Climb. And as I was doing that, the Lord said to me, uh, I, I want you for the next 30 days to focus on one scripture devotionally. I'm going to give you one scripture, and that's the one that you read devotionally. Now, you can study other things for the messages that I tell you to study, uh, but devotionally, this is it, one verse, and that verse was John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Can I just tell you for someone who is as high strung as me that, that that few words was terrifying. Like God, the next 30 days, our devotional time is going to be spent in, in him was life and that life was the light of men. In him was life and that life was the light of men. I mean, I can say it a hundred times in two minutes. 
God said, I'm going to show you something over the next 30 days from that small verse. And some of the insights that I'm going to give you today actually came out of the very personal time of just spending time with one verse. This isn't the focus of this message. But when you spend time with God's word, it will give you life. It will speak to you. And sometimes you have to turn down your pace. The pleasure of God over us as believers devotionally is not connected to the numbers of scriptures that we read. It's actually connected to the number of scriptures that we allow to deeply influence who we are. And so I begin to meditate on in him was life. And that life, the life, was the light of men. I don't want to share with you some of the key statements for this. The first one being this, and these are keys to transformation. If you really want to change, if you really want to see something shift on the inside, of, I believe it's found in these truths. First, the first two words, in him. In him. Verse 4 says, in him. It begins with, in him was life. This is saying Jesus, the eternal word of God, the eternal creator, the eternal son, the eternal God is carrying something. There is something in Christ. He is built and carrying something for us. And it is in him. It is in him. Which we find in this verse, it says, in him is life. But it, what we begin to understand as we walk through this life is outside of him, there is sin. Outside of him, there is death. Outside of him, there is, how about this one? Worry. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a lot of people in here who are in him. That means that you are in relationship and yet you worry. And yet Christ comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and says these powerful words, do not worry. And anecdotally and directly, he says, here's how you deal with worry. Go look at a flower. Some of you have read the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he says, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor work. And no one has ever been arrayed or covered like one of them. He's like, listen, if you're worried, there's a way for you to experience a grace in me because of outside of me, there's worry. But if you get inside of me, just go look at a flower and peace will come. He said, maybe you're worried about, uh, worried about supply. You know, you, you got your checkbook here and you got your bills here. And you're worried. You know what God says to do? Go bird watching. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, go and see the birds. 
They're not sowing or reaping, and yet Father God has, is feeding every one of them here as we're gathered right now. They have all they want to eat. He says, you're worried? That's outside of me. That's outside. How about anxiety? Don't raise your hand, but anybody in here ever deal with anxiety? I'm telling you, that's not in him, that's outside of him. You know why I know that? Because the scripture says, be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. See, you get in him and peace covers you like a guard. You step outside of him, man, you're worried. God says, take a walk, go look at some birds. I got you. But we need to understand that when Jesus came, there was something in him. And I love Ephesians chapter 1 because Ephesians chapter 1 makes beautiful in him declarations. Can, can I just speak to those who are already born again? You're already in relationship. Maybe you don't even know what you possess. Ephesians 1, listen to these in him truths. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You who are in him, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Uh-oh, not as much faith on that. You need to get this. In him is something for you. In him and in him you are blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, you're blessed. Are you convinced? In him you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are blessed with the blessing of Abraham. God said to Abraham, listen, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I'm going to give you increase. I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing. That Abrahamic blessing still stands today. And Ephesians 1 says, if you are in him, you're blessed with that blessing. We're blessed with it. Why? Because we're in him. Let's look what Ephesians 1 goes on to say. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. This is the best thing about being in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. Listen, you, I, I, I want the church to come out of the religious piety that somehow that our mistakes that we consistently make, and by the way, I don't want you to consistently make them. God doesn't want us to consistently live in sin and, and, and consistently bow a knee to the enemy and become a slave and a servant to sin. But this is what you need to know. When you are in him, you are forgiven. You are washed. You are clean. Not because of your works, but because of his finished work on the cross. So stop carrying around your sin like somehow, man, well, I've got to pay the price for this. No, no, no. 
Jesus paid the price for it. And when you're in him, you have redemption. You've been bought back from the slave market of sin. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a son. I'm no longer a servant. I've been elevated in the house. I now have relationship with my father. I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I don't carry the weight of who I used to be. Why? Because all things became new in him. Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Did you hear that? In him you have obtained an inheritance. What does that mean? That means this, everything that Christ obtained through his death, burial, and resurrection now belongs to us. Everything, all power, all authority in the spirit, everything that Christ attained through the cross, he gives to us as sons and daughters. We have now obtained an inheritance in him. Listen, you don't have to live subject to sin. You don't have to live the way your parents lived under the curse of alcoholism and addiction. You don't have to live in the way that you say, well, my parents have always been that way. This has always been that situation. The problem is, is that we're not taking advantage of our inheritance. Romans 6 says, I am now no longer a slave to sin. I'm not, but what am I? I'm a slave to righteousness. Why? Because I'm in him. I have an inheritance. And everything he paid for is mine. Verse 13, Ephesians 1 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. It says, In him you get the greatest gift of all. You get the Holy Spirit. You get God himself who shows up in your life. When you get in him, when you get what is inside of Christ, you get his spirit the Holy Ghost when I was actually um, uh, doing the pastors and leaders training over in Ghana uh, one of the pastors asked me he says I have real trouble with the Lord's prayer I have real trouble with this prayer I said why this is a public forum uh kind of question and answer time. He says, he says, because he says, Lord, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. He says, and uh, I can't do that because I'm only a man. And so right there in front of everybody, I said, pastor, I'm now going to give you an opportunity and an invitation to get born again. He was stunned. I said, because if you're just a man, that means God hasn't moved into your life. 
Because when you are in him, God in the spirit, the Holy Spirit moves into his temple and you are not alone and you are not just a man. You now have the God of the universe leading you, guiding you, empowering you and proclaiming Jesus all around you. And I get what you're saying. I'm wrapped in flesh. I know. So was Jesus. He was wrapped in flesh. And I want to invite you to go deeper in him today. It's, it's in him. It has to be about Jesus. It has to. Your walk with God has to be about Jesus. It can't be about your walk with Calvary Church. If you have a walk with just the sermons that I preach or the sermons that you hear on Sunday, you will have a limp, not a walk. But when you say, I'm going to live in him and everything that he obtained for me is mine. And the person of the Holy Spirit, that seal, that guarantee that when he comes back, I am going to be with him forever. Man, I have that spirit. Now I'm going to walk with him Monday through Saturday. And when I come in here on Sunday, man, everybody in here better look out. Because I dare you to come sick to church around me. Because I'm going to start praising. If you're sniffling beside me in the beginning of service, it's likely you're going to get healed in the middle of service. Why? Because I'm in him. I'm in him. And you need to know that Jesus is filled with everything that you need. He is still the answer. He is still the Savior. He is still the one that conquered death, hell, and the grave. I've I've stood there in the garden tomb, thousands file by, looking at an empty rock. What a dumb thing to do. But it's great. It's great because we're like, yep, he's not there, just like we knew. Why? Why did we know it? Because his spirit's in us. And when you get in him, you get his spirit. You're like, yep, that just confirms what I already knew. So you want a key to being transformed. It is found in him. And the second truth from verse 4 is that in him was life. And I love this. Life. This word life in the Greek is zoe. It's very deep. We're not going to go into the depths of it. But it means this. The absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. God bless you. (laughs) See somebody getting healed from the overflow already. It means the absolute fullness of life. When it says in him was life, when you connect it to the other, the other uh, scriptures, you need to get the picture. The picture is the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God actually begins to reshape the earth. And then on the final day of, of creation, he goes down and gets in the dirt. And in the dust of the ground, what does he do? He he forms man. And what does he do? He breathes. He breathes into him. Why did he breathe into him? Because in him was life. In him was life. 
And I want you to know today, Jesus is still breathing on dead people. Jesus is still breathing on dead people. Jesus said these words in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. It's not enough for us to know that Jesus was the possessor of life. We need to know that he has come to give us this life. That he has come to breathe this life into us. And listen, he says, not not only am I going to give you this life, I want you to have it more abundantly. I want you to have it super abundantly. It's the super abundance of the life of God. You say he's still breathing on dead things. I know he is. Ephesians 2 tells me he is. It says this, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You, he made alive. I believe the best description of people who do not have a relationship with God. Now listen, if you're like that here today, don't get offended at how God describes you. It is actually uh, showing the goodness and the character of God. He doesn't describe you as misguided, sowing your wild oats, a little off the beaten path. He doesn't even describe you as addicted or self-absorbed. He describes you as dead. He says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. This allows us to know that there is nothing that we can do to help ourselves, that we need Jesus to step down in the dust of our life that has fallen apart under the weight of sin and allow him to breathe what is in him into us. What kind of life is it? It's eternal life. It's eternal life. We know this from John 3, 16, 17. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. We know this. For God has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's Zoe. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. When Jesus gives you life, it is eternal life. Everything God has ever created, all men, all men, all women, never die. Our spirits, the breath, the pneuma, the wind of God that gave us life, it will always live somewhere. We will either live in eternal bliss in God's presence in a place called heaven or we will live in eternal separation in a place called hell. And God never intended for anyone on this planet to go to hell. It was always intended for the devil and his angels. That's why he made a way. That's why he still today is breathing life on dead people. In him was life. And it's eternal life. And finally, this key to transformation, the life is the light. 
you need to understand this. The life of Christ is the light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus spoke this eternal truth in John 8, 12. He says, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Doesn't it all start to make more sense when you really examine the scriptures? He says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not be in darkness. I got a question for you today. Have you ever found yourself in a dark moment? Even after believing, have you found yourself in a place where you're wandering? You're like, I don't know where the next step is. When you find yourself in a dark moment, ask yourself this, who am I following? Did I follow my flesh here into this dark moment? Did I follow my own will? Did I follow human wisdom here? Or, or has God decided that just for a moment, he's going to allow me, as Psalm 23 says, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? And yet, if you find yourself in a dark moment following him, this is what you're gonna say. I will fear no evil. My God will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and my cup will run over. If you follow God, you're not gonna be in the darkness. Why? He's the light. Light speaks to revelation. There are so many in the church that are lacking direction, lacking about where I need to go. And here's the problem. We are trying to follow ourselves, follow our dreams, follow our own insights. And yet God here today is saying, listen, I'm the light of the world. You who follow me, you'll never be in darkness. You'll have revelation. It's not going to make sense to other people. Verse 5 says it, the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Anybody remember when you first started following God and people around you said, what are you doing? You're going to mess up a good thing you've got going. I said, I'm just following the light. Yeah, but that doesn't make good financial sense. I know. I'm following the light. Sell your waterfront home and move to a place with more trees than people. That don't make sense. But we did it almost 20 years ago, following the light. And all we've seen is thousands of young people come to the Lord and people beginning to burn for God and churches starting to unite and Jesus' name being made famous in this region. Here's, here's what you can understand. It's not always going to make sense to everybody else, especially to those who aren't in him. But when you are in him and you start feeling and sensing that light, you're going to say, Jesus, you're the light of the world and those who follow you will not be in darkness. Some of you may find yourself in a dark moment right now. Here's what you need to do. You need to place a little faith in what God has already said. And said, God, you said I wouldn't be in, in darkness. And he would say, yes, you're right. Let me show you your next step. Let me be a light to your path. 
Let me just, let me, let me enlighten your next step so that you can keep in step with my plan for your life. When you follow Jesus, you then get filled with that life and that light. You get filled with it. So you're not just following Jesus as the light of the world. You start to walk in the revelation of who he said you were in the Sermon on the Mount. He looks you in the eye, those of you who are in him, those of you who have experienced his life, and this is what he says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're the light. I've heard people, I've heard Christians say it, man, I went to that place and man, that was such a dark place. You said you went to it, right? They said, oh man, I could just feel the darkness all around me. But you went there, right? But you went there, right? Oh, my workplace, it's such a place of torment. My boss is Beelzebub. <laughs> it's so dark. But you're going, right? What does that mean? That all of a sudden we need to stop giving credence to the power of the enemy and start saying, listen, this life that I receive because I'm in him becomes a light to all of those who are around me. And now that dark place isn't dark anymore. Years ago, before I was in uh, vocational ministry, I was in ministry and... Uh, I was in uh, retail management. I was running these stores for uh, uh, a national shoe company. And, um, <coughs> and um, I, I was uh, actually, when I first really got radically saved, I mean, when I say radically saved, I kind of grew up in the church. I got baptized when my nose could barely stick out of the water. And the baptism pool, you remember those baptism pools? You should climb into them with your pastor. I was standing on my tippy toes because I knew I wanted gold streets rather than fire. That's a good deal. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going with gold streets and I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. This is a good investment. You can have my life. And um, so, you know, that's six-year-old logic. <clears throat> and... Going to a Christian school, live my whole life, uh, live my whole life that way. But at age 21, I had a radical encounter with God. I prayed a selfish prayer: God, if you get me out of this one. Anybody ever prayed one of those kind of prayers? Please don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Uh, and you pray that kind of prayer, and then what does God do? God does it. He shows up. But then I reached the end of my willpower. It was about two and a half weeks. I had just went to a Phil Driscoll concert. Some of you guys know who that is. One of the best trumpet players and jazz musicians on the planet. Man, he was blowing his trumpet for Jesus. It was amazing. Uh, you know, it was a great concert. My, I was like, oh, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. We go out to eat, and there I am in a restaurant, um, and... 
And I'm just thinking to myself in the restaurant, I'm looking at this table of 25 Christians that just left this Christian concert, and I'm thinking about these old friends that I've left that party and sell drugs and do all this other stuff. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, I could go back and we could just hang and party and do all of that. I'm thinking this in my head. And a woman I did not know speaks up, age 21. She says, hey. She said, what's your name? I said, my name is Otis. And in front of everybody, this is what she says. She says, this is what the Lord says. You are lukewarm and God is about to vomit you out of his mouth. You have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, in our modern culture, where everybody gets offended, this would have caused a Twitter storm. And it would have been epic, except when she spoke those words, a power and life came upon me in a Bob Evans. And when she spoke those words, this heat and power came on me, and a 21-year-old uh, athlete there, I begin to shake and tremble at the awareness that the power of God was now reaching me in a way I had never known. And the life of God was not only something that was in my mind, it was actually the power of God surging into my soul and coming in. And I am trembling as a man who has been hooked up to 220 volts and cannot move. All while the waitress is bringing five-way chili that I never ate. And I am sitting there shaking and trembling and, and weeping. And, and I, I end up getting uh, up from that moment. I begin to weep. I begin to understand that something has shifted in my life now. I remember going to my sister's house. And she's like, what is happening to you? And I said, I don't know. I've been in church my whole life, been in Christian school for the majority of it, and never have I experienced a surge of life and power like this. But I knew God was changing everything. and Tons of stories. My boss gets fired soon after that. And then his two bosses come in. And they want to talk to me about the job. Well, I know, man, I've got a call of God on my life. I am like, you know, a couple months into this, man, I am ready to take on hell with a squirt gun, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm ready. And so these two guys come in, and you know, they're my bosses, and they want to talk to me about taking over this store. And I'm like, I'm preaching the gospel to them. I, they're going to fire me anyway. When they figure out I'm going to a Bible school, they're going to fire me anyway. So we're going to make this good. I'm going to preach the gospel to them. So they came in. They start talking to me about this position that's available. I said, I got to tell you guys something. Jesus changed my life. And I start telling them about how God's power touched me and that Jesus changes everything. And I just start telling them the story 
stories that said, and he's called me to preach, and he's called me to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to follow him. And if he tells me to go to Africa, I'm going to Africa. And if he tells me to go to Bible school, I'm going to Bible school. And I'm just telling him, all, it's, all of it's about going. And then I just threw in one statement. I said, but I do want to say this. Whatever you entrust to me, I'll be faithful with that. But, man, I'm living for Jesus. I just stopped. And they looked at me and looked at each other. They said, well, that's good enough for us. And they promoted me. I'm like, no, I saw this going differently. And so what happened over the next uh, really uh, would be 18 months is every single, listen to me, business owners, there can be revival in the business place. When the life of God comes into you and the light of God begins to shine from you, there can be revival in the business place. Every single person on my staff either got born again or rededicated their life to God. Today, there are people on the mission field today who were a part of my staff at that time. They're based out of Canada, travel all over the world ministering to people. It came out of a small shoe store in Lakeland, Florida. God moved. Everybody got saved. Everybody is experiencing God in supernatural ways. Now, our, our, our store began to grow. We were, we were blessed. I had to make a new hire. And uh, at a, at one of the guys said, hey, I've got a friend. I think he'd be a great salesperson. That's okay. So I interviewed the guy. I never had much more of a conversation beyond the interview. I thought, yeah, he'll probably be a good, a good hire. So I hired him. Uh, he's been working uh, just for about two weeks. I'll never forget this. This was a Thursday afternoon, and it's about 4 o'clock, and I'm just working on some particulars, and I'm writing some things down up in the front. I noticed that when he came in, he had actually come in a little bit early. I was like, oh, praise God, a young person who came in before they were supposed to be here. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and so I'm just writing it down, and then all of a sudden, this young man who was six foot two and a surfer and white curly hair on the top of his head, this giant of a kid, he jumps on me as his boss and wraps his arms and legs around me. And I'm standing there like this. And he's yelling in my ear this, I did it, and it's because of you. And I'm like, I don't know what you did, but it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> and he's hanging on me. I said, could you please let me go? You know, I had no idea what he was talking about. For two weeks, he had saw me minister and, and develop relationships with other people on my staff. He'd seen that. I had not had one conversation with him about Christ. But the night before, it turns out, this, he would tell me this later. He said, he says, I'm a pastor's kid. I didn't tell you. I'm a pastor's kid. And last night, I was sitting in a service where an evangelist came. And he was preaching the gospel. And some, for some reason, as he was preaching, all I could see was what God was doing in this shoe store. All I could see was the life that was flowing out of every single person here. And so when they called to give their life to Christ, I did it. And it's because of you. I'm like, 
God, are you telling me this kid got saved like on accident? <laughs> like, you can get so full of life and so full of God that people around you will crave what is in you and what is coming out of you beyond your words. This is what it looks like when God breaks in. This is what it looks like when we're in him and the life is in us and the light that is in him becomes who we are. It really looks like Acts chapter 9. You remember the conversion of Saul? I'll close with this one idea. When Jesus comes to Saul as he is persecuting the church, notice what he shows up to Saul as first. Go and read it for yourself this week, Acts chapter 9. He shows up first to Saul as light. Not as a voice, not as a man. He shows up as light. Why? Because in him was life, and that life was the light of men. He then shows up as a voice. A voice that is calling him to a place where he was not. He calls him. He says, he says, he, he, he says, Calls him by name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Calls him by name, why are, you, why are you doing this? Why are you living in a way that is contrary to my will and way? And he, he then says, who are you, Lord? He starts this, this engagement. He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard to kick against the goads. And then he surrenders his life. And this is what he says, what do you want me to do? He says, just go down to this house. I'll show you what to do. But notice this, he was blind. He left an encounter with light blind. And I've asked the Lord oftentimes, why? Why was he blind? And I believe it's a picture about uh, what, what happens when people first have an encounter with God, when they first become born again. Everything that they've created in the flesh becomes useless. All the life that they have created on their own does, just doesn't work. It doesn't stand. Have you ever seen somebody like, you know, that's where I was when the power of God touched me. They said, he says, what are you going to do? I don't know. I just told God I'd give him my car. I just told him I'd give him my job. I just told him I'd give him everything. I don't know. What am I going to do? I felt blind. But what happened? He began to pray. And then a man named... Ananias comes, and he lays hands on him, and something like scales falls from his eyes. And immediately, he begins to preach. God fills him with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to know today. If you're here today, and you're without relationship with God, you're, you're, you may be counting the cost in your head today. What would it look like? What am I going to have to let go of? Man, your flesh starts to tremble. Here's what you need to know. If you go through a, t a time of blindness where you have no idea what your life is going to look like, it is temporary until God sends a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled person who is filled with God's life and light to get near you. And guess what's going to happen? Something like scales is going to fall from your eyes and you are going to be begin to see the life that God has for you rather than the life you have constructed for yourself. You say, well, how do I do it? It's verse 12. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to, the, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. 
If you want this life and you want the light of Christ to surge into every dark place, if you want the breath of God to come and breathe on every dead place, it is found in receiving Jesus.